Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. We've all got stories, 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 but it's kind of interesting in this day and age. Some of those stories are being banned and burned and well, you know what, screw them. We're going to still keep telling our stories. And I believe our stories are one of the most powerful things that we can bring to the world, especially as... LGBTQ plus people. I know that probably just turned some pearls on some people's neck, but hey, too bad. And that's what we're here today to talk about. I'm so excited to have this author who is writing some amazing stories for the next generations and really helping them like, yes, we're going to be the flag bearers. We're going to keep this little story about LGBTQ plus going. And he has a brand new book out, which we're going to talk about. But I just want to get into this because I love talking to other authors, bringing them onto the show, letting them tell their story and also helping them promote, you know, what they're doing, especially when their books are about helping the LGBTQ community thrive. So his name is Greg Howard and he's from Nashville, Tennessee, and he's got four books that he's got out. Latest one just came out the first of February. So Greg, welcome to the Life Uncloseted podcast. Looking forward to chatting, man. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here. So no writing a book while we're talking, okay? I know you're kind All of right. like cranking them out like right yeah. and left, right? But um, <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. So this has kind of been something that's, you know, kind of been in your bones from a very young age, right? It has, but, you know, it's one of those things that was like a childhood passion, uh, writing stories. Um, and I kind of let it go, uh, stop doing it. I really didn't have a lot of encouragement, you know, in my home life to, to write and to create. So, but over the years, I got to more into songwriting. So that's how I kind of satisfied that. And the songwriting is what led me to Nashville, um, mm-hmm. where I got completely pulled, sucked into the music industry machine and that's where i have been for about 30 years but the 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 passion for writing never went away and i was i tell you what i was getting ready to turn uh i was staring down 50 and this was about seven years ago staring down 50 and i thought i am going to do this i've always wanted to do it and i want to write about queer kids Um, Mm. i want to write the kind of books that I didn't have when I was young that would have made all the difference in the world to me. Uh, so I was about uh, 48 when I got my, um, my first book deal and my agent, and it was for a, 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 a kind of a gay teen rom-com called Social mm-hmm. Intercourse. Uh, and it did very well. And that came out the year I was 50 and I wanted to keep going. I wanted to see a future outside of the music industry because I was just so burnt out on that, you know, but it also encouraged me to live my life more openly because when you write books like this, you know, you're putting your whole self out into the world. And that was a little scary at first, but it feels great. I'll tell you that. That's awesome, man. And um, well, first of all, You look great for being 50 something, man. I'm just going to say, and even though the body can't see it. And it, it's so interesting to see when these moments happen, because 
I kind of had similar stuff happen in my 40s, suddenly uh-huh. like, oh, wow, this is where I'm headed. Now, you know, I kind of knew that in a little bit of a way. But when I came out of the closet later in life, you know, my 30, late 30s is when I came out. But then suddenly I hit that like 40s and like stuff started to happen. And then the coaching and then the podcast. And then, man, as I came into my 50s, I'm like, okay, well, the book's coming out and all this other stuff. And I felt really pulled to like, continue to do what I do, even though I, you know, work for another company as their lead coach. I still do my stuff. In fact, I just finished writing book number two, of course, sitting over on the desk, there, staring at me going, bitch, are you going to edit me? I'm like, (laughs) but um, it's such an interesting thing, especially when you feel called to it, you know, and it's almost like you can't, you can't not do it. At least that's the way I felt. Does that feel pretty similar? Yeah, it does. Especially, you know, when I transitioned from writing that book about teens and I had a story that was a little younger audience, you know, um, middle grade is what the genre is. And that's the genre my last three books have been in. And it's what that means is the, the characters are set around that 12, 13 year old age. And I really you know, was able to go back to myself when I was that age, you know, in my head and in my writing and tell stories uh, from my childhood and kind of put them into fictional form. And once I started doing that, it's like you said, I just, I couldn't stop. And there's so many more avenues and areas of my life I want to explore. Again, the books aren't, you know, biographical, but they do take parts of my life and put them out there. And, and, you know, we deal with some, some very um, touchy issues. I say touchy issues. They're not touchy to us. Probably they are to a lot of America. Um, But I tell you what, the first time when a kid came up to me at a book festival, um, this was actually when social intercourse came out. And I I thought, you know, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to hit the New York times bestseller list and I'm going to make all this money. I had all those kinds of silly dreams. (laughs) But when I had that first kid come up to me at a book festival, festival and break down in tears and tell me come out to me and I'm the first person they've ever come out to and tell me that this is the first time they've ever seen a character in a book like them or told me that they were in some really dark places and thinking about self-harm and the book helped them out of there it was so humbling it was Mm -hmm. just so humbling to go oh this is why I'm doing this. Yes. Um, And since then, it's just been, you know, full steam ahead. You know, I'll I'll do this until I I can't type anymore. (laughs) Well, and I think that's the thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not really joking about my book sitting here staring at me. It is, but Mm -hmm. I, I just feel really compelled to do it. Will there be a book three? Yeah. It's like when I work the time into it, but it, it is that thing that it's, it's, there's a purpose behind it, but it's not about, I, I have no illusions of like, oh, I'm going to make tons of money with this. Right. It's more just, I want to get this out in the world because there's a message there, you know? Exactly. And if I can impact somebody, you know, and this second book is completely different than book one. Book one was frankly, my dear, I'm gay. It was my whole, like how to come out of the closet, my coming out story, but then like how to do this as a person later in life. This one is completely, well, kind of completely different it is not it is not lgbtq specific it is like how to live your life kind of how to live your life uncloseted so um regardless of where you are but i find every time i have the opportunity to speak to another author there's just this burning desire to a you got to release your creativity it's like if you don't do this you will it will be the thing you go to your grave with like i wish i had Mm -hmm. and secondly 
for most authors that I've spoke with, they're like, if I have impact with even just one person, I'm good with that. You know, right. I think for you, the interesting thing is, is you're coming in in a very, <laughs> you're in a very pivotal time in our lovely little country for sure yeah. with these messages. And we all know as LGBTQ people, if we could have seen representation in our life when we were going through this, right. we would be so much healthier. In so oh many my ways. goodness. And so many years not wasted. I mean, if just to give these kids and I, when I say these kids today, it's, it was the same for me when I was a kid. If I had just seen myself in a book because we didn't see ourselves in, on, in movies or television or it wasn't talked about in our home. I came from a very religious environment. Um, so if I could have just read a book like one of mine that I just mm -hmm. saw another kid like me, because quite frankly, I thought I was the only little boy in the world who was attracted to other boys. Exactly. <laughs> I really did. But I would have known that I wasn't so alone. And because that isolation after year, after year, after year, and you're hiding yourself. And it's another reason why I like writing for this middle school ages, because that is such a touchy time in your life. Yep. And for these kids that are hiding themselves, it is a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. You're, you're terrified. You're going to be found out. You're going to, you're terrified. You're going to be bullied if you found, found out or that your parents will find out. And it's just this constant thing that, you know, non-queer kids, um, well, let's say white non-queer kids don't have right. to worry about hiding themselves or being on guard all the time. So yeah, it, it's, it's just like you said, I mean, if, if it if I reach one kid and let them know that they're not alone in the world and that their story matters and their experience matters, uh, it's it's worth it. It's worth all the pushback I get. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because I've had some conversations with other people about this, like <laughs> white queer versus non-white queer, too. And right. it's interesting that and then I have a lot of conversations with, you know, our black brothers and sisters on different topics and i always use the analogy of you know i as a gay man white gay man i can walk down the street and nobody knows my anything about me unless i'm like girl and then i was like okay i guess he's playing on that team but um yeah it, it's very interesting yet as a young white gay man if i go back to when i was going through this that pressure to like conform right was so so painful yes and to hide right and so some people have said well but yeah but if you're white and gay can't you just wait till you're old enough to like just i'm like really yeah <laughs> wait till you're old enough to what because it's happening to us from the moment okay moment we're born let's just be honest it's it's right. in there and to say well wait you know do you have to do it i'm like no this is why then people like me in fact i just I just had a conversation with somebody in my coaching practice who is 63 years old. Hmm. And he's like, I've got to come out. I've got to come out. Oh, and wow. I'm not, I always say you're never too old. Okay. I don't right. care. You're never too old. I talked to one guy who was 92 years old once. And right. I'm like, you go boy. And, yeah. but it is such an interesting thing. And this is why I feel like books, like what you're writing, it's kind of like what we all went through when, you know, when Ellen DeGeneres finally, you know, came out on TV. It's like, okay, there's right. some representation, so to speak. Right. But if well, we, the you, younger we do it, the better it will become. Oh, yes. And the easier your life will be, like you said. I mean, I, I went to some very dark places when I was 12 years old. I was 
all I thought about was wanting to die, you know, because mm-hmm. I had just lived, I knew I was gay from the time I could walk and talk, you know, yep. but, but automatically knew I had to keep that secret and to myself. And sometimes we think that kids today, it's so much better and they don't have to deal with that. And in a lot of ways it is better for them, but there are still countless, countless kids out there. And I know because they send me emails and they come up to me at school visits and, and, book festivals who are dealing with the same things that we dealt with. You know, maybe they're in a very religious environment and they feel like they have to stay hidden. Maybe they're afraid of bullies. You know, maybe it's the area of the country they're in or just the beliefs of their family. It, it's, it sometimes shocks me that they are dealing with the same things I dealt with, you know, 40 some years, 50 some years ago, you know what I mean? So it's, it's crazy. And, you know, you mentioned about coming out and the gentleman is in his sixties coming out, you know, I have, I, man, I have to respect everybody's journey as I know you do. Um, because for me, it was a lifetime of coming out, you know, it, right. you know, by the time I went to college, I stepped my toe out there, but I was at a Christian college, so I couldn't do it too much, right. you know, but then I, when I left college and came to Nashville and I was on my own, then I started going out to the bars and having gay friends, but I could not tell another part of my life. So then yep. you've got your life segmented, you know, and you never want your worlds to collide, you know, right. and especially because I worked in the music business and I just happened to work for a Christian music company, although I really wasn't working in the Christian music side, but, but right. it was a Christian owned company. So I had to be closeted in my work, you know, with, mm-hmm. and that was stressful. You know, if, if they find out they could fire me, you know, right. in Tennessee, they can fire you for whatever they want to. So, and then leaving that job and and starting my own company and just then being myself and coming out. And that was in my 40s. I think I was turned 40 when I did that. And after that, so it took me 40 years to get to that point. We're completely out in all stages of my life. Right. And man, this last 15 years of, of living completely out, I, I wish I'd have done this a lot sooner. But, but <laughs> it's so interesting you said that because I was just creating like a little, you know, Instagram meme like you're never too late to the coming out game. You're to the party at just the right time for you. Exactly. And, you know, it, I deal with this all the time because especially my, my crowd, it's like the coming out late in life and they're like, oh, I've wasted so much time. I'm like, not really, because think of all the wealth and knowledge you have now. You know, yes, maybe. Okay, let's be honest. Maybe you haven't right. ever been on a date with a guy or a gal, you know, of the same sex, or maybe you, for some, maybe they've never even had sex of, with the same sex, or even thought about what does this look like to be in a, a, a relationship on a daily basis. But there's so much wealth of knowledge, and I know because I felt it. I, I mean, I came out, so it's interesting. I actually went to college in Tennessee, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to a nice little Christian college right outside of Chattanooga, so I can relate to exactly uh, everything you were just saying. Okay. And um, I came out while I was there, and my parents said no, and anybody who's listened to the podcast knows the story, so I'm not going to go into it real deep here. But I also was like, okay, this wasn't the right time. And then when I did finally come out, I had those feelings like, oh my gosh, I've wasted all these time, this time, right? Now that I can process it, and because I'm older and wiser, I'm like, it was absolutely the right time. 
every bit of it because there's been so much i'm very open obviously because i right, right. have this podcast right there's <laughs> you can't really hide once you put it's kind of like I, I read something in in your bio and stuff it's like once you put it in out there in print it's out there there is no getting around it. it's the same thing right. with the podcast you know it's yeah. like it's out there but um i find it very valuable for me as a person to be able to be in that space because okay okay not everybody has to put it out there the way you and i do you know mm -hmm. uh but i'm grateful that that's part of who i am yeah because it gives me that feeling of okay i'm leaving some impact in the world and that's not coming from a space of ego it's like i i really want to have impact yet and i'm going to go to where where we are <laughs> What do you do when you know that your books are being banned or possibly even being burned? What, how do you feel as an author around that? Well, it's, it's just so disheartening uh, what's happening in our country right now. And yes, my books, you know, are on banned lists. And, and let me just say, you know, like these middle grade books I write, they're just the fact that the kid is gay in the book or the, mm -hmm. there is a trans kid. It's not that they're doing anything right. illicit or anything. They're just being, right. they're just being, you know, but that right there is enough to get banned in certain areas. Yep. Um, and then recently when I, when I saw my book, um, someone, I wasn't watching it, but on Fox news on Laura Ingram show, they throw up the cover of my book, middle school's a drag. You better work as as calling it sickening that it was on this one teacher's suggested reading list for her students and had my cover up there even talked about what the book was about um i, I look at that clip now and i read a huff piece a huff post piece about it um that has the clip well, i look at it now it's so surreal to me to see my book on fox news mm -hmm. on laura ingram but that's what we're up against, yes. you know, th this sweet book, you know, cause it's just a sweet book of a kid who's queer and he wants to start a junior talent agency. Mm -hmm. And his first client is an aspiring drag queen. Well, guess what? There are 13 year old aspiring drag queens all over the country. You can't act like they don't exist because right. they do, but you know, that's exactly what, what these people do when they take books like mine off the shelves and many others like them, they're erasing those kids. They're mm -hmm. telling those kids that their experiences do not matter. Yep. And, you know, if you're not part of the dominant discourse in this country, sometimes then your life and experiences are considered inconsequential. But, you know, some people say, well, you know, your book got banned and it was on Laura Ingram. You should wear that as a badge of pride. And I heard Jason Reynolds, who's a fantastic uh, YA middle grade author say, you know what, it's really not a badge of pride it's it's a it's like shame on this country you know yeah. I, I don't want to walk around with my head high saying oh i was on laura ingram i must right. be doing something right but yeah it's kind of a shame um that we're where we are and all i can do as as a writer is to keep writing you know books for queer kids which i'll continue to do my new book um it deals with some subjects that I know are going to get pushed back um, and probably will get banned too. But my point is kids are living it. And if kids are living, you know, these experiences, then I need to be writing about right. them. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, my book, frankly, my dear, I'm gay. I mean, I don't know that it's been banned because it's for the older adult, but I, I've had the hate mail and I'm like, yeah. Okay. That's not about me. That's about you, it, but it hurts. And, and to your point, you know, and I want to talk about your new book too, but to your point, 
banning a book or burning a book isn't going to change anything. It does not erase who we are. And the sad part about that is the more that continues to be perpetuated, the more the more I'm going to be employed, because that means there's going to be somebody who's a teenager who's going to succumb to this and eventually go, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. Nothing wrong with that. OK, I'm great. I'm so grateful for my daughters, even though they drive mm -hmm. me freaking nuts. Um, <laughs> I'm so grateful for them and that I was able to raise two really beautiful daughters with my you know, ex-wife and my husband who are really, you know, amazing people out there in the world that are products of yes you can have a same-sex marriage family and you're just fine but mm -hmm. the problem is the more the messages get sent to those students and young people who are like you can't be this and they choose either the horrible thing of suicide or they choose in a real way to die their current life for a period of time mm -hmm. it makes society just continue to be a thorn a huge yeah. thorn where getting past this would make it so much better and that's the unfortunate piece and when i started hearing about the book bands and everything i'm like i'm to the age where i'm like okay i'm not going to do this much longer but i'm like people have said you you probably need to train some people on how you coach these people out of the closet i'm like you know maybe that is my next legacy piece i don't yeah. know that's but, um, so let's talk about the new book because it just came out um, in February. So um, right. what's, you know, you said, I don't want to give all away, but, you know, you said there's some subject matter in there that's probably like, okay, here we go. We're back on the ban list again. Yeah. It's one thing is because this book, um, again, it's, it's a middle grade genre. And, and the other thing I love about the genre, middle grade genre I write now mostly is I, I, a lot of adults read my books. They read the middle grade books. And it said, I, one guy recently said it was a podcast interview. He said, this book uh, healed my 12 year old self, you know, wow. because we carry around that trauma from this time in our life. And so I love to hear that when adults read it and find some healing for themselves. But there are certain topics that is deemed not appropriate, you know, to talk about in middle grade literature, yep. because you really have to get past the gatekeepers. You're not marketing to the teenagers like you are in young adult. You're marketing to the librarians and the adults and the teachers and the parents and all them. But, you know, I, I do deal with um, uh, themes of youth suicide, a queer kid being bullied um, and leading to self-harm. That right there is a no-no, most people would say, for a middle grade book. I can't say most people, but some people would say, you know, but we, we're also, there's also a trans character. Um, mm -hmm. That's another non-starter for some people. You know, we deal with in this book, physical abuse um, by, from a parent to a child, you know, um, there are kids that are, are experiencing that, you know, and I, I feel like that they need to be feel seen and represented. And even the slavery, I, I, I deal with slavery a good bit in this book because it's such an ugly truth of our country, but it's a truth that we need to keep telling. And there are people who've already told me that's not appropriate to, to go there in a middle grade book. Well, there's always going to be people that say that, but um, like I say, if, if it's something that kids are living, I need to write about it. And the thing, I, reason I wrote about slavery in this book is because I really wanted to, for, well, for A, it's, it's set on a deserted rice plantation in South mm -hmm. Carolina. So if I 
to, to ignore um, the enslaved people there would have been a dishonor and just terrible. But I also wanted to engage uh, young white readers with a part of history that they really don't have to think about if they don't want to. It right. doesn't affect their daily lives, you know, but I wanted to, in, in the way that I do in the story in this book, um, it just exposed them to these stories of these enslaved characters to get them to start talking to people who don't look like themselves and maybe learn something. But the book is, is called The Visitors, and I'll, I'll tell you briefly what it's about. It's about uh, the ghost of a 12-year-old boy who finds himself stuck on this deserted rice plantation in South Carolina. He doesn't know how long he's been there. He doesn't know who he is. He, he doesn't even, but most importantly, he doesn't know how to move on from this very sad, lonely place. You know, he's stuck there with a few other um, lost souls, as, as he calls them. You know, some are the spirits of enslaved uh, people who were, who were on the plantation. And it's about him trying to figure out how to move on. And that's a theme we all kind of deal with when right. we, you know, in our lives as, as queer people, you know, how to move forward, how to, you know, move on to the next thing sometimes because we're stuck. But when some modern day kids show up um, and they are kind of investigating a decades old mystery, he kind of starts remembering things. And he mm. thinks if he can remember the trauma from his past, that then he'll be able to move on. So it's part ghost story is part mystery mm -hmm. there are some heavy topics in it but they are couched with a lot of humor and charm and and uh humor and charm and uh what was i gonna say uh i forgot what i was gonna say that's okay <laughs> i mean i'm loving this because there's a there's a parallel of course you know here's the coach had me gonna suddenly like come forward it's like but the parallel of, of re discovering and remembering who you are mm -hmm. is so beautiful because this is what we do as LGBTQ people. Right. We read, we, I mean, it's always been there. It's always there. But there's something about as we step into our truest self, it's like there's the discovery of who we really are. It's the right. real self when we come forward. And I love this parallel because as you're talking, I'm like kind of getting mesmerized in my own head listening to you about this, like, this is powerful. And I, I have I have no doubt that, you know, adults read these stories and go, oh, finally, I kind of figure some shit out, so to speak, right. you know, because it is those moments where we didn't get to have those experiences of acceptance. And anybody who's listening is like, this is blasphemous, whatever. Okay, at least you're here listening. But it's so interesting, because so many people jump to these conclusions like, oh, he's writing about teens having sex. No, oh, you know, da, da, da. Right. no, it's really about getting you to understand there's so much more to LGBTQ plus life than right. the assumptions that everybody makes. Yeah, I get up every morning. I grumble down to the kitchen. I say a grumpy good morning to my husband, like a lot of husbands probably do in heterosexual relationships. I grab my coffee. I'm like, leave me the hell alone until I'm away. You know, there's so much and it has nothing to do. And no, we don't wake up every morning having sex and all this sort of stuff, nor do kids who are in middle school probably explore sexuality any more than heterosexual kids do. This is the truth. And I wish people could just embrace we're just talking about life. We're just talking about living. So, okay. Now I'll you know, off, one of the I'll reasons, get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, but that's a great point. And one thing I think that some people who have a problem with it, they get into their heads when they're talking about queer kids having an attraction, say, to the same sex. 
that immediately in their mind goes to sex. Yes. But they don't think that when you're talking about heterosexual kids. Exactly. It's only when you're talking about queer right. kids, you know, mm-hmm. um, gender nonconforming kids, trans kids. Mm-hmm. Then they start thinking sex, sex, sex. Well, yep. I'm not writing about sex. Right. I'm writing about I'm writing about friendships. I'm exactly. writing about self-love and forgiveness and acceptance. Yep. And you know, I just wish they wouldn't sexualize these children who exactly. are just trying to be children. Right. And the thing is, is in this day and age, and I hate to say it because now I sound like some old guy, but okay, I'm older. I'm not old, but in this day and age. If a kid wants to figure this stuff out, they're going to figure it out because the, most kids have a phone in their hand these days. And any parent right. who says, oh, but no, my child wouldn't. Mm, trust me, kids are very smart when it comes to technology. So there's a whole lot more sleuthing and finding out. I mean, hello, if we could find if we could find a playgirl in mom's closet, kids today can figure out a whole lot more exactly. with the phone in their hand, you know? And I try to tell people, uh, Rick, like exactly what you're saying is like some adults will say, well, my, my kids, not, he's not quite old enough or she's not quite old enough to read about this. And I, so that's why they should be taking, taken away, taken off the shelves. And like you just said, if, if a kid wants to read a banned book, they're going to read a banned book. They'll find a way they to will get find it. it. Yep. And and what the adults are doing is just they're taking themselves out of out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're leaving the kids a, alone to draw their own conclusions, which is not always a bad thing. But you could be part of that conversation. You could have a constructive conversation. I love when I get emails from parents who say, I gave your book to my kid and we had some really meaningful conversations about it. Well, yeah, that's the whole idea. But you're right. If kids are going to find it one way or the other. Right. But, you know, it, it's really interesting because I have a friend and he writes bedtime stories mm-hmm. for the younger generation. And Greg, this is so interesting because his his line of books is called Conscious Bedtime Stories. OK, so just just okay. take that one in. All right. Right. He has had people go, oh, I don't need somebody teaching my kid woohoo. I don't need my kid like being taught that there's all this stones and all. He's not talking about that. He's like talking about being a conscious, loving, caring human being. Now, I don't know that he's ever had books banned, but he's definitely had some people go, Mm-mm, this is too woo-woo, too weird. You are not, that this is outside of the Christian value system, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, wow, really? Why wouldn't you want to raise your child to be more conscious, more aware, more open-minded? That's what I don't get. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, if you are that narrow-minded to think, if a child wants to figure this stuff out, then they're not going to go figure it out. And sometimes they will not figure it out in a very safe way. That's the stuff that's Exactly, exactly. That's why the not, really you, scary stuff. You know, why not share that with them and that <clears throat> learning experience? But you're right. And you, you mentioned something that I think it was, you said something about Christian in that, I mean, how many of us, you know, that's a whole other story of our that's gay lives. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, yes. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a very conservative fundamentalist church in yep. the South. And 
I, I heard from the pulpit many a time that homosexuality was the worst sin there was, mm -hmm. you know, and you're telling that to a kid who's struggling with just trying to accept themselves for who yep. they are. And that programming, I'm not saying all religions bad. I'm not saying no. all Christianity is bad. No. I'm just saying that in my particular case, which is all I can speak to, it was a lot of harmful programming yep. for 18 years yep. that I had to spend a lifetime undoing and unlearning. I, I'm not sure. Did you have a similar experience? Yep. Yep. I came out at 19 and, you know, God bless my parents for thinking they were doing the right thing. And again, a lot of people heard this story, but I want to like share it again, because I think it's just so poignant. And off I went, I marched off to go have some sessions with the pastor, you know? Oh, yeah didn't work because he was really, really hot, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh I knew my. then it wasn't going to work, but yeah. here's the thing. This is the important piece of that whole equation. I knew who I was, but I wasn't ready to be who I was. Mm. And then there's a difference. There's a, there's a thing that like, you know, you're ready when you're ready. Right. Right. And I was in my own way, very naive sexually, and even dating wise, I had dated a few people throughout high school and college, but I was never like, oh, you know, I was, I was Mr. Popular in a different way. Like, hello, I could <laughs> set up any party. I, could, right, I was always right. the social committee guy, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I wasn't ready to be who I needed to be. And it was right in the early 80s. So it was right in the uh, beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And so I was scared. I mean, let's just put, let's be clear. I was scared. I, I sat, I sat outside a gay bar in Chattanooga many, many, many times mm. in my car in like late afternoon, like, okay, if I go in now, everybody else is at school, you know, all these crazy thoughts you have, like nobody, nobody's going to catch me. Now in my world, actually that could happen because mm. uh, my school actually sent people out looking for where students might be hanging out that they should not be hanging out. And if you got caught like outside a bar or in certain restaurants or going to the theater. So I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. So there's a lot of like interesting oh, okay. things we were not supposed to do. Um, there was ramifications. I mean, wow. you could get expelled from school, all this sort of stuff. So here was all this fear, fear, fear. Mm. And then take what you just brought up of, oh, and homosexuality, that's the worst sin on top of everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of going... I, I don't know this when I started, <laughs> I was doing my own, my own little version of a, the gay head tilt going, Oh, I don't know about this because I, there's a whole lot of people getting divorced and adultery and all this stuff going on. Isn't that in the Bible too, folks? And everybody was like, yeah. you know, back then shining it off a little bit now that, you know, they kind of just shine that whole thing off. But um, it's just, it's interesting to see this. Yeah. I was afraid. Honestly, I was afraid. Mm. And, and you know, the other thing as, a, as, recovering gay queer adults <laughs> that we have to learn you you kind of remind me something when you said is we have to be willing to forgive ourselves yes because some of us were pushed into some very dark places because we weren't accepted in in the light so to yep. speak uh, we did things that maybe we're we're not so proud of today but you got to remember we weren't given a lot of options mm -hmm. we weren't there was no basis for free and open love for us. So we yep. had to go to the dark spots. You know what I'm saying? And I talked to a guy recently and he had tried to commit suicide when he was, when he was young for being queer. Mm. 
And he said he still, you know, he couldn't believe he did that and he couldn't forgive himself. And man, that is like the number one thing I want these kids to understand is it is not your fault. You did not do anything. Right. And give yourself some grace and forgive yourself. If you feel ashamed that you did something or you feel ashamed that you even hit yourself, you know, just give mm-hmm. yourself some grace. And I think we as queer adults need to hear that as well. I agree a hundred percent because I think the interesting piece of this is, and anybody who says they do not suffer from this, I'm going to slap the shit out of them because I know <laughs> they do. As human beings, we all struggle with confidence. Let's yes. just put it out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you go through this queer coming out experience and that's a huge piece of the puzzle. So if you can't forgive yourself, if you can't accept yourself, and I work with a lot of gay men who are in their forties and up that aren't coming out. They're like just in their middle life stuff. Right. I can spot the little gay boy hiding in them so quickly because oh, yeah. there's still a piece of themselves. They haven't given permission to, or haven't forgiven themselves And when we get to that space, and this isn't, you know, as a coach, I don't go into the deep stuff, but I'm like, so tell me about that little gay boy that was afraid to do something. As soon as Mm -hmm. I get him talking, that's when we can find this kernel of, okay, so now you're sitting in that boardroom or you're sitting in that conference room at work and you're afraid to speak up. Mm -hmm. Do you know why you're afraid to speak up? Because there's shame around speaking up and there's shame around having a voice and there's shame about saying, this is how I see. There's shame about showing who you are. Man, I, I've seen some gay men cry. I'm telling you, as soon as I say that, probably because, make him cry. Well, yeah, because it's a huge piece of the puzzle that yeah, we carry is. so much shame and guilt around. And and I, I'm 58 years old, and there's moments that with a certain member of my family that every once in a while I just kind of like really asswipe. <laughs> I'm not doing this with you again, you know, know. and you know, we get to a point where we have to, like you said, when we were growing up queer, we had to make ourselves invisible to protect ourselves, um, both physically, emotionally, fear of rejection. So it was like, make yourself invisible. Don't draw attention to yourself, you know, until you're, you know, you get to a point where you're comfortable. But yeah, what you said about the the family, that, that was another big thing for me is learning when it's okay to say goodbye to family yep. members. And I don't mean because they passed on. I mm-hmm. just means, you know what, you are not bringing any positive energy to my yep. life. Uh, I don't need to spend time with you, you know, and I have very family members in my immediate family that I have just had to accept that. It's like, yep. I'm not going to have a relationship with you. Yep. Um, and that's okay too. It is okay. And mm-hmm. trust me, I'm going through it right now there. I mean, there's a family member that I'm like, it's really sad that I'm like, I'm ready for you to pass on. I am ready mm-hmm. for you to take that energy and take it away because yeah. I, I'm not dealing with it anymore. I, I refuse to get engaged in it. And then I go, Oh God, what a son of a bitch I am. And my husband finally said, I, I don't think so. You're, you're doing what you have to do to be healthy in yourself. And this is one of the things that I hope whoever is listening to this, whether you're recovering queer, trying to like, okay, I got to get good with myself. Or maybe you have a child that you're trying to figure out how do I do this with them? If you can help that person, yourself or a child or anybody step into this beautiful space of grace and love, that's one of the best things you can do. Because otherwise you're going to continue to carry this into your adult life. I think we all still do. I do. 
and question yourself. And every time yeah. I get to the point where I question myself, I actually do a quick check-in. Like, is this coming from anything about how you were stuck in the spaces you were stuck in as a child? Don't go deep. <laughs> I'm not going super mm -hmm. therapy, but I can ask that question. Like, does this come from how you felt as a child hiding in the closet or as an adult even hiding in the closet? And a lot of times I can go, oh yeah, because that person or this incident is feeling like I need to go play, hide small, get back in the closet. As soon as right. I have that conversation, I'm like, mm -mm, I'm not doing it. Now, do I come no. out like and be an asshole? maybe sometimes, but <laughs> most of the time, no, I, I, it's like, I gain an inner strength to like, Nope, I'm going to show up. I'm going to say what I need to say. I'm going to do it in a way that's like, here's how I see this. Here's right. how I'm going to do this, you know? And as a guy who speaks on stages, there have been a few times where uh, everything was good. And then they're like, Oh, well, we've seen you speak. We've seen some videos and we don't think you're going to be good for our audience because you really mm -hmm. put it out there. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Keeping your deposit, but I'm totally okay <laughs> with that, you know? So, oh, yeah. Uh, it's such an interesting space to get to play. And I do say get to play in because I feel like what you and I get to do, we're getting to play. Right. You know, yes. We get to play in this sandbox of life in a way that, again, I don't want to be a jerk. Some people think I'm a total asshole. And I'm okay with that because that, that isn't about me. That is mm -hmm. nothing to do with me. Right. But if we can have the kind of impact we're talking about and help anybody, child or adult, right? To me, that's what makes this all worth it. And I'll Absolutely. take it. I'll take the hate mail. I'm sure this podcast could possibly. <laughs> get I, I do get the hate mail too, and I've I've learned to just you know let it go. Yeah. And re and remember that there's so many more positive emails and supportive emails, emails from parents who are thankful that the books are out there. Yeah. It's it, somehow the negative makes the biggest impression on us, right? Yeah. You know, but but we have to remember there's there's still a lot of good out there. All it takes is one email. I got one mm. a couple of weeks ago from a guy who is 72. And he goes, I just found your podcast and I really, really enjoy listening to him because it gives me hope. He mm. goes, I care for my wife so much. Unfortunately, she is incapacitated and I know she's going to leave me soon. I almost feel like she probably is going to say, it's okay. It'll be you. And he goes, and mm. I'm just waiting for that. I, I, I was like a blithering idiot that day. Wow. Like, oh my God. You know, it just, it's, it, but it's interesting to get those perspectives and, right. you know, to see how deep the pain still goes in our world around this subject of being LGBTQ. You right. Know? Right. So, um, and you brought up the main theme that I, I would like to just reemphasize because it's the theme of all my books is is hope and you know i want these kids to have their happily ever afters and to have hope and so that's why i'll keep doing what i'm doing that's awesome man so another book in the works yet or you're like i am Rick, working I just on... finished got one out the <laughs> gate you know but you know when you have a two book deal which i did on this one it means yeah. they're waiting on the next one so mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm spending my mornings writing <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome man so um well, I love the concept that you give people hope and I want to give a couple of people hope. So whoever writes into me and sends me an email to rick at rickclemens.com, if you would like Greg's latest book, um, let me know and I will send it to you on my behalf just to help spread the love and oh, get them out there in the world. So um, that's wonderful. 
Yeah. And thanks for being a great guest, man. I feel like, I feel like if you and I met, we'd just go on and on for hours. Yeah. So uh, our our in-person podcast would be a couple hours. It would. (laughs) So we'll plan that. It will do it in Nashville. Next time in Nashville, we'll just go. Okay. But uh, no, it'd be awesome. And I love what you're doing. When the next one comes out, hit me up. I'd love to have another conversation with you, man, and help keep spreading the word. So um, I definitely will. And I appreciate you, Rick. I appreciate you too. And for all of you listening again, if you want a copy of uh, Greg's book, First two people who send me an email to rick at rickclemens.com. I will be glad to pop you a copy of his book in the mail and get it into your hands. And until then, never stop being who you are. Dump those excuses, face your fears, and go live your uncloseted and unapologetic life. Take care, everybody. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here on Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.